Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Yammer, CEO and founder of Grid, a next-generation spreadsheet platform that's raised $16.5 million in funding. Yammer, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And can you go ahead and say your last name for us? I was looking at it. It looked pretty daunting. I know you're based in Iceland there, and those are always tricky names. So how do you say your last name? So this is usually the most difficult part of any presentation or interview I do. So it's Gislason. Okay, there we go. Now it's officially on the record. What's going on in Iceland today? Tell us about Iceland for those who haven't been. Yeah, well, it's a pretty unique place, I guess. So it will probably surprise quite a lot of people that we have a fairly active tech scene here, fairly active uh, startup scene, at least given how small the, the population is. And, you know, it's a very, very kind of modern Western society, you know, safe, nice, actually even have nice weather today, which is not always the case. Amazing. Now, can you tell our audience just a bit more about you, your background, and the work you were doing before you founded Grid? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, born and bred in in Iceland. That's where my funny name and funny accent comes from. I actually grew up in the countryside, so, you know, spent a lot of time on my grandparents' farm. My parents were both associated with an agricultural university, so kind of grew up in a small town around that university. So I often use as an icebreaker the fact that that town actually is so close to the Arctic Circle that we don't see the sun for six weeks a year. That's, again, you know, something that surprises a lot of people. But when, you know, anything you grow up with is is normal to you as a kid. You know, pretty easygoing childhood. And then kind of, I guess you could say I've been starting companies more or less my whole life. So since I was about 20, dropped out of, out of university to start the company with a, a few friends. And since then I've started, so Grid is my fifth company as a founder. They've all been software companies, but they've ranged from gaming because that's what you're interested in when you're 20, at least for me, and then through mobile services, Surge, and then my last startup and the current one are, are very much kind of focused on, on data and, and uh, visualization, calculations uh, and the like. And we'll kind of dig into that a little bit more, I guess. When it comes to your inspiration as a founder and as an entrepreneur, where does that inspiration come from? And are there any specific entrepreneurs and founders that have really inspired you along the way? Yeah. So on the one hand, I come from a a long line of people that have run their own businesses in one way or another, kind of whether that's, you know, the farm that both of my grandparents were running, like the the two different farms that my grandparents were running or the the shop that my great-grandfather set up. My dad founded a couple of companies also when he was young. So I kind of, you know, it's always been around me, kind of entrepreneurship in, in one way or another, even though, you know, essentially before the age of software. So I didn't kind of have any anyone, I didn't have a, anyone around me that had like a nine to five job. So that was kind of the, nobody told me that was what I was supposed to do. And, and kind of that's how I, I got into entrepreneurship. It was essentially just the normal thing to do for the people I looked up to. When it comes to inspirations, I guess there were a couple of people here in Iceland that were trailblazers when it came to starting technology companies here. And it was great to have some role models there. The role model that I I go back to, and this is going to be an unusual one, the role model that has probably most affected what I do today 
is a guy called Hans Rostling. He's the founder of a, an organization called Gapminder. Uh, Hans uh, sadly passed away a few years ago, but he there was a TED presentation or TED lecture that he did that went pretty viral in 2007 or 8 when it came out called The Best Stats You've Ever Seen. So Hans was a doctor, been doing a lot of work in, in developing countries. And he basically kind of through data and lively storytelling started breaking down a lot of the preconsumptions we have about that part of the world. And it was such an entertaining lecture that he gave, but at the same time kind of presenting facts in that lively manner. But I, I kind of wanted to see if we couldn't do more of that, kind of blending together good storytelling and then kind of the hard facts that, that go into kind of the, the logical side of the brain. So I think kind of I can say that uh, Hans Rosling is the biggest influence I've had, uh, that, you know, on me uh, as kind of a founder and on my career uh, what stands today. What about books? And the way we like to frame this, this comes from an author called or named Ryan Holiday. He calls them quick books. So a quick book is a book that like rocks you to your core. It really influences how you think about the world and how you approach life. Do any quick books come to mind for you? Yeah. So there are three books that come to mind, actually. One is written by Hans Rosling himself called Factfulness. That's a really good book that I recommend and kind of, you know, goes in line with what I mentioned about him before. But the other two books that come to mind that when I read them, they kind of changed the way I, I see the world are, first of all, A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson, a really kind of wide ranging book that essentially tells you about many of humanity's biggest discoveries, but through stories of the people that discovered them. So you learn a lot about history, technology, science, and so on, but through the stories of the people that were involved in making those discoveries. And the third book that comes to mind is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari that a lot of people obviously know and, and have read. And that was another book that kind of gave me a new way of thinking about and framing and talking about a lot of the things that you kind of knew, but you know how it is when you finally get the framework to talk about things and think about things, it changes the way you, you do talk and think about them. I've not heard of the first two books, but just added those to Amazon cart. And Sapiens is also one of my favorites. It's a very dense book, though. I found myself having to put it down every 10 or 20 pages just to try to digest what they were saying. Because it's, it's very deep and it's, a, it's very heavy content, in my opinion. You know, I totally agree. And I read much more nonfiction than fiction. And, and for the longest time, I kind of did that because I thought in some ways it was a waste of time to read fiction. But now I do more and more of that because that also sometimes gives you new perspectives and new ways of thinking about things. And also, you know, like you say, when you're reading something abstract, you tend to read slowly. You tend to have to think about things, maybe reread some of the passages. Whereas when you read a good novel, it just flows, you know, to me at least, like a, like a movie. So it's a much more enjoyable experience. Yeah, I find with like novels too, I'm able to disconnect a bit more and almost put myself in like a, a meditative state where I'm you know, really disconnected, really not thinking about anything else. It's, you know, kind of a full immersion into reading the book. And that's always, I think, a good place to get into. Exactly. Let's switch gears now and let's talk about the company. So you're going up against spreadsheets. Spreadsheets were invented, what, 40 years ago, and they, they haven't evolved since. So I'll tee it up for you to start off from there. Why haven't spreadsheets evolved at all? Well, they have evolved a little bit, but they just haven't necessarily taken the, the same leaps that many other categories of software have. It's actually interesting. So the father of the spreadsheet, the kind of original creator of VisiCalc, the, the very first spreadsheet, the way we kind of know them today, he's an advisor to us and uh, has become a, a friend over time. 
he was pretty young when he released Visicult back in 79. And uh, yeah, it's still kind of, you know, very much on top of it when it comes to technology. So there's probably no other software. Like, you know, people don't realize how much this spreadsheet changed the world. Because what happened there is essentially Visicult, before the spreadsheet, there was no reason anybody would have a computer on their desk at work. The first reason anybody would buy a personal computer and put it on their desk was to run Visicalc. And that's kind of a, a pretty fundamental shift. Uh, Steve Jobs made several references to this, that if Visicalc hadn't been written for Apple II, Apple II would probably never have made it kind of into the, into the business world. And it's not only kind of bringing the PC into the workplace, but it's also, the spreadsheets are, as we know, very versatile for, you know, which is both their biggest con and the, and the biggest pro for them. And so they allow you to do a lot of different things. And in some ways, you can draw lineage of pretty much any category of business software back to a spreadsheet. You know, there were no CRMs back in the day. The first inklings of a CRM system that, you know, most people would see would be a spreadsheet. You know, there were no ERP systems. There were no kind of these categories that didn't exist. But they all started out in spreadsheets. And for many companies, they actually still start out in spreadsheets before they buy purpose-built software for these different categories. When you're just kind of a mom-and-pop shop, a lot of these needs are, are solved in a spreadsheet. And that is, again, kind of one of the unique characteristics of a, a spreadsheet is that they are versatile enough that they allow kind of an everyday person to take care of a lot of their custom IT needs because they can simply just, you know, pipe data into cells, do some, maybe some simple calculations, keep track of, of things and so on in a spreadsheet without needing a much more sophisticated solution for that. So it's kind of, you know, when I started looking into this space, then it dawned on me that we take spreadsheet very much for granted. They're a little bit like oxygen. We use it every day, but we wouldn't mention it as, as something that we kind of consumed that day. And the same with the spreadsheet, like it's used for all sorts of things, but very few people had given it a second thought, you know, saying this, well, you know, Excel has been dominant in that market for a very long time. And then Google Sheets has come along and made a little dent in the market, but, you know, still very much kind of a small, small player there. Now. The way we framed it earlier is that we are a next generation spreadsheet platform. That is true. But what we also do is that we want to meet people where they are. We know people are doing a lot of work in Excel and, and Google Sheets and very much kind of helping the users of these software platforms to use the workbooks that they've already created and the knowledge they already have of these spreadsheets to do things differently. So maybe that's kind of a good lead into what it is actually that we do. We like to say that because of all these things I mentioned before, in many ways, spreadsheets run the world and we then run spreadsheets. And what that means is that we kind of, we have built a spreadsheet engine that can run uh, spreadsheets that are made in, in other spreadsheet software. You can also build a spreadsheet from scratch in, inside of Grid, but that's not kind of our, our primary, primary thing. What we do is we then help people turn these spreadsheets into tools for the web. So whether that's kind of simple tools like calculators, think of a mortgage calculator, return on investor calculator, pricing calculator that you might even publish on your public website. We help people transform the spreadsheets that, that they've already made into those types of tools, then do kind of lead capture on top of that and even build what kind of fairly be called simple applications just using your spreadsheet skills, but then using Grid to be able to publish those, give them kind of a nice UI and uh, distribute them securely to your audience. 
What's the ICP look like? Who are you seeing the most traction with right now? Or who is that ideal customer that you want to be selling to today? It's essentially, you know, we could call them the spreadsheet nerd. I, I think most of them will actually self-identify as such, but maybe kind of put more broadly, a spreadsheet modeler that realizes that they need to distribute what they have built in the spreadsheet to others, whether that's kind of for reporting purposes or helping with decision-making inside of your organization or to a broader audience. So spreadsheet modelers, broadly speaking, but then they obviously just because of where spreadsheets play the biggest role, we tend to see quite a lot of people in finance and energy as kind of sectors. And then within the organization, these are typically kind of, you know, the finance people, the operators, but also kind of sales and marketing people. And in smaller organization, we like to talk about kind of the multitasking manager, because in a smaller organization, again, spreadsheets will typically play a pretty big role. And that's where your data tends to come together from all the different angles and that's where you kind of your decision making tends to tends to be happening. So to sum it up, ICP spreadsheet nerds in small to medium sized companies that are using spreadsheets to communicate with others. When I think through some of my conversations with friends who work in industries like, say, finance, it seems like they were very much brought up on spreadsheets. They brag about what they're able to do on spreadsheets. And yeah, that's that's kind of where they live is in, in spreadsheets. So is it hard to pull those people away and get them to try something new because they've spent you know their entire career kind of using the status quo? Is that hard to get them to change? Yes, for sure. I mean, there are people that don't see any reason to ever step outside of Excel for anything. Like, and that would goes for like their entire lives. Like they plan everything, do everything, track everything inside of something like Excel. But the people that fall in love with grid are people that realize that they have a lot of spreadsheet skills, but they can now use these spreadsheet skills to do things that, you know, before grid just weren't possible. They essentially become at least a front end and in some cases kind of full stack programmers for the web. By using their existing spreadsheet skills, bringing those spreadsheets into Grid, then using Grid to build the UIs and build the logic and kind of, you know, host things securely and distribute them. So those are kind of the people that tend to fall in love. But there are a lot of people that would, you know, rather just keep, you know, emailing around an Excel file and don't see, you know, why that might even be a problem. Have you seen the woman from TikTok who's gone viral and, you know, built this big business off of marketing how to use Excel? Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. And that actually goes to show also that I think probably, you know, people have been predicting the end of spreadsheets for a very long time. I know of companies that have kind of set out on a vendetta to get rid of, you know, spreadsheets entirely from their businesses. I don't know of anyone that's been successful at that. And while, you know, as I touched upon before, like we've seen a lot of purpose-built software built to kind of take over use cases that previously were often solved with spreadsheets. The long tail of tasks that people need to take care of in business and in their daily lives just keeps getting longer. So there are always new needs where the purpose-built tools simply don't meet them, don't have the flexibility, or you, you know, you don't want to buy yet another piece of software. You just want to, you know, add a few columns to your spreadsheet and, and kind of track whatever the new thing is that you want to want to track. So spreadsheets aren't, aren't going anywhere. And kind of where the train of thought came from is that Young people are also learning how to use spreadsheets and, you know, they're doing it differently. Right now, we kind of see quite a lot of AI being used to generate formulas. That's something we built into our own spreadsheet editor. 
that you can instead of you know if you don't know what the functions are called and kind of how to use them you can describe the formula that you're trying to build in in a natural language and grid comes back with a suggested formula for you and this works phenomenally well i find myself using it all the time as well but for people that are new to spreadsheets this is something that helps them you know it takes away all the googling and just allows you to work more naturally inside of the product from my conversations with about 500 different founders now, what I've learned from them is that yeah, they can kind of trace back a, a series of specific, very pivotal turning points in the business that really changed the trajectory of everything that was happening. Do any points like that come to mind for you? Were there any specific points that you can reflect on and say, yep, that was a critical turning point for the company? And if so, what was that turning point and, and how it happened? Yeah, so they're actually, so they're probably two, and they sent us back and forth between kind of two, well, I wouldn't say polar opposite, but two kind of different positionings that we have been playing with. We started out very much as a tool for spreadsheet modelers, and that's where we found kind of quite a lot of early user love. And a lot of them, most of them, and almost all of our paying customers were using Grid to build out calculators. So, you know, that felt pretty nice. But then kind of as we started projecting and kind of thinking about how big really is the market to, for, you know, just turning spreadsheets into calculators. And while, you know, the market is bigger than, than many might think, it wouldn't kind of, you know, that's not a billion dollar company. So the pivotal point number one was essentially, hmm, you know, it seems like we're getting into a local maxima here. What else is happening in the world that we can apply the product we've built, the technology we've built to? and latch onto a larger wave that's happening. And that led us to kind of look at things that were happening with products like Notion and Airtable and Canva and other tools that have kind of taken on different categories of productivity tools and really come up with a next generation solution to those needs. You know, in many ways, I'm simplifying a lot here, but in many ways, you know, Notion is for that generation what, you know, Word and Google Docs were before. You know, Canva has taken over the graphical side of things. Airtable is kind of in the category where I guess you could say in, in some ways, if you're old enough, you know, and you remember Lotus Nodes or, you know, Microsoft Access, these types of use cases are are now kind of, you know, the next gen is doing these types of things in, in Airtable. But nobody had really done kind of a next gen tool for working with numbers. So this was kind of a, a wave that we decided to focus on. Put a lot of effort into you know lowering the barrier to entry to our product, making the usability kind of really nice, making the onboarding really nice, and kind of doing all the things that those types of tools are typically very good at, that are success factors for these types of tools, and found you know a decent product market fit, at least you know, let's call it a kind of user fit with those users as they were looking to you know make simple charts you know for the Notion setups or you know visualize their Airtable data, visualize their Notion data, and so on. But what we've realized after kind of going after that market for a little while, and here comes the other pivotal point, is we were much more a nice to have for most of these people than we were a must have because they were using Grid for, you know, fairly simple things, even just static charts out of, you know, let's say static charts out of the Notion database or something like that. And yes, that's nice. There are other ways to do it. None of them are, you know, quite as smooth as, as using Grid for it but they were not terribly incentivized to kind of upgrade and pay for it. And that kind of we saw through experience. While on the other hand, like while the, the target audience, or at least on the top of funnel, kind of the, the user acquisition side 
we got a lot fewer of those kind of spreadsheet modelers and the, the spreadsheet nerds in. Those were the people that really fell in love. And that ended with us kind of pivoting back to focusing on the spreadsheet modeler and doing much better there. We've been throwing around this phrase that we came across in, a, in an article, you know, probably about a year ago or half, you know, half a year to a year ago, which is love is growth. And essentially what that stands for is when you find the people that love your product, they will accelerate your growth. That's where kind of your, your growth will come from. So we're really doubling down on the people that not merely kind of like grid and can use it for kind of everyday tasks, but the people that love it, for some of whom we've become a kind of transformational thing. There are more than a handful of users that I've gotten to know personally that, you know, they make their living off of turning spreadsheets into grid and selling access to them, essentially turning their spreadsheets into software as a service that they then charge others for using. And you know, being able to enable something like that is very fulfilling to us, but it also shows that, you know, it's obviously not just a nice to have for them. If we went away, it would change their life uh, quite dramatically. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. As I'm sure you've seen... A lot of times entrepreneurship is almost glamorized in the media and, and you only hear about the good stuff, acquisitions, fundraising, growth, things like that. But from my conversations, I've also learned that, you know, all founders have points where it just gets low, things get really hard. Can you take us back to one of those low moments that you've experienced so far building the company and then just talk through how you navigated that low point? Yeah. So you are asking this question at a very interesting point in time for us, because we've just gone through significant downsizing of our team because of just, you know, on the one hand, changes in the funding environment. And on the other hand, kind of, as we've been going after usage growth and user growth over revenue, the product market fit between the company and the user base that we had built and the VC environment, the way it is now, just wasn't there. So yeah, we downsized to make sure that we have a runway and kind of are in control of our own destiny, probably kind of, you know, to the point, and we decided to cut deep and make it kind of so that we could see to a point where we could just sustain the team on the revenue that we have. So yeah, that was definitely like going through, and this is kind of, this is very recent. We're talking about this summer, you know, the lowest point and probably kind of the lowest point in many ways in my career where realizing that this is something we had to do, that we had to lay off a couple of dozen people, a part of a great team, all fantastic people, but there was no other way. The alternative was essentially keep running until we come to the edge of the cliff and then and fall off that. And that's, you know, in nobody's benefit. So very challenging moment there. I'm lucky enough to have a very good team of co-founders and managers in the company with me. So we went through that together. Also a lot of good mentors. And I think kind of, I go back a lot in kind of navigating that to a call that I had very early on. We were kind of, there was, it was a pretty hectic time. We're probably talking May here, where, you know, on the one hand, we were still having some fundraising conversations with VCs, but they weren't going terribly well. There were a couple of inbound M&A talks also going on. So we were determining whether we wanted to taste those and, and kind of see where those would go. 
And then kind of the third alternative was, hey, you know, we're not going to be able to fund our development at the same pace as before. So we may have to make big changes. So I call up a friend in the Valley who's working in m and in tech and has done so for a decade and a half. And I was, you know, I get him on the phone and I blurted out kind of everything I'm thinking. Like, this is, this is the situation. This is what we're thinking. This is who we're talking to. How should we approach this and so on? So I probably kind of talk without a breather and giving him a, an opportunity to get the word in for five minutes before I finally finish that run. And he says, okay, okay, no but There are three things that are important now. Eat well, sleep well, and keep exercising. And then kind of he, you know, stepped into, okay, so here are then some of the ways I would think about your situation. And I just found that to be such a kind of, you know, even though it's in some ways a given, it was just such a good reminder that even going through the, the hardest things, and even though you think that, you know, working 24 hours a day is going to solve the problem. Taking care of yourself is very important because that's how you can then take care of others as well. And, you know, that was, yeah, again, something that, that really helped. I was watching an interview a couple months ago with Bill Ackman from uh, the hedge fund Pershing Square. I don't know exactly how to say it. I think it's Pershing Square, but he was saying the exact same thing. The interviewer asked him, you know, what's your advice to people who are navigating this? And his number one thing was taking care of yourself, which sounds like such basic and obvious advice, like almost the advice that your mother would give you. But I think it's very, very hard to do when you're sitting there in the trenches, you know, fighting for the company. It's so hard to remember to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, because you asked how we navigated this, like the, the other thing is team is very important to me. And I like to say I'm good at building two things. I'm good at building technology and I'm good at building teams. And once you've built the team, then it obviously hits hard when you have to disassemble or, or make big changes to that team. But approaching that in many ways in the same way as building the team, just with kind of empathy and kind of thinking about how you can also help, you know, the people that are affected by something like this navigated the best way possible is something that, you know, it took a lot of work. There was a lot of hard work that went into doing this. I don't want to say well, I want to say kind of as well as possible or as, you know, not badly as possible, but it paid off. Like there are no burned bridges. There were, there were hard times for sure, but you know, there are no burnt bridges. Everybody understands where the decision comes from and so on. And kind of we've been, most of the people have been able to land really interesting jobs pretty quickly after, after the change. And, you know, we have been helping with that as much as possible. So yeah, I mean, I guess you can hear kind of through this that I, I, I tend to put people very kind of high up my, on my priority list. And, and this was an example where that definitely paid off. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, when it comes to fundraising, as I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised 16.5 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout that process? So I, I guess there are a couple of things. First of all, you know, fundraising is a sales process. So, you know, it's at least worked well for me to think about it like any other sales funnel. We can start by that you have your total addressable market, which is the market of all the VC companies out there that are probably around three or 4,000 in the world. They are not all going to be good leads, so you have to weed them out and kind of figure out who are the leads that either have shown interest in you or are kind of investing in your category and so on. So qualifying the leads as you would with any other sales process. And then it's again, it's like a sales process as you work them through the funnel, define your kind of funnel steps. You know, where are we? Who are the decision makers? You know, have I gotten to speak to them yet or are there still some gatekeepers in the conversation? And then kind of gradually moving the VC closer to that closing point. 
the difference in some ways is that sometimes there is competition. Sometimes you are typically only going to sell this to one lead investor. And, you know, if the stars align for you, you may have more than one fund to choose from in the, in the end. But apart from that, it's very much like any other sales process. And thinking about it that way, making sure that you document every interaction, that you understand kind of, you know, who you're talking to and what's their position within the fund and so on. This is kind of, you can take a lot from just essentially enterprise sales and apply that to the VC world. The other thing that has stood out for me is, and I think more about it now, maybe in, in light partly of, of kind of the, the changes that we had to go through this year, is that when I take in money from an investor, I see it as my responsibility to do my best to make the best return on that investment possible for the investor. And the more money you raise, the bigger an outcome you have promised to aim for. And I don't think we talk a lot about this in the startup industry in, in general, but there are, you know, you are closing a lot of doors. You're closing a lot of opportunities also when you, when you decide to take on, especially when you decide to take on a big round of funding, because, you know, a mediocre outcome is no longer possible. Something that might be great for kind of you and the team is just no longer an acceptable outcome for, you know, stakeholders in your company. And, you know, this is, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, we couldn't have built something like Grid without the outside funding that we have, have got. But I think that we founders, we would be well served by often thinking about, okay, like, what are my options? And by, you know, going the typical startup VC funding route, what are some of the doors I'm closing and am I okay closing them? Or, you know, would I rather maybe just want to build a lifestyle business where I can, you know, work with some good people on, on something that is a great outcome for us, but, you know, would never be fundable in the kind of typical VC world. So I, I think, you know, probably we'll see now, you know, with the, the change in the funding environment, I think we'll probably see the teams think about this a little bit more. It's just been like, you hear all these stories, like you talked about in the beginning of kind of, you know, companies that are getting funding and kind of the great outcomes that you see and so on, that you get pulled in, but now this is impossible. So I think people will start to explore kind of a wider range of options. And often yet yeah, you can, you know, many types of businesses can be built without, you know, they will be built slower, but they can be built without taking in a lot of money. Now we're getting into the final couple of questions here since we're almost up on time. So I'll just leave it with two more. Let's imagine that you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice that you'd give to yourself based on everything that you've learned so far? I think probably one of the things that I would pay more attention to is, am I building something that solves an existing need that replaces something that people are already buying? Or am I building something new that, you know, they still need and they will get a lot of value out of, but they need to be educated about the need. They wouldn't think to look for it. And in many ways, what Grit has built is the latter, which means that, you know, that that's not better or worse. It just means that you have to educate the market a lot more. You have to educate your buyers a lot more. And it's going to be a lot harder than if you are coming into a market with a replacement for something that they, they already know. You know, if you're a replacement, you obviously have to be, you know, better or cheaper in some way, kind of, you have to incentivize people to, to shift. So that may be hard. And, you know, the outcome, you are getting yourself directly into a very competitive market 
Whereas if you've really identified a new need, the outcome can be a lot bigger, but you are going to have to put a lot more effort into the positioning, the education, and the careful way that you build out the company's presence and attention. So that's something that I hadn't kind of really, really put my head around enough when we started. And with, you know, a tool like Grid, which is very horizontal, it can be applied to a lot of different problems. Positioning and messaging for those types of solutions can be really hard. And you have to know to start with something that is a real pain point and often kind of you know, only uses a, a small part of the capabilities of your product, but is really kind of solving for a pain point because then people will learn about these other things that your tool can do as they start applying it to that kind of real pain. Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building here? So I'm a strong believer that spreadsheet modelers are programmers. Uh, what they're doing, as soon as you start writing a, a formula in a spreadsheet, you are programming. The difference is that you're encoding relationship between data that lives in cells in a two-dimensional space instead of writing lines of code that get executed one after another. But it's all the same thing. You're, you are building logic. I want to enable people that know how to build spreadsheets and spreadsheet models to become developers. And you know that is a big opportunity because there are probably at least one, if not two orders of magnitude, more people that already know how to build spreadsheets than know how to write code in the most common programming languages such as JavaScript or Python. And you know, if we're successful in building out kind of the, you know, we're gradually moving more and more into essentially being on the crossover between no-code solutions and, and spreadsheets. And, you know, as we get there and people start building out applications, what you'd kind of truly call applications using grid and their spreadsheet skills, I believe that can be truly transformational for a lot of these kind of, you know, everyday, often fairly simple needs that you have in, in business for tracking different things and making kind of small applications to solve for everyday needs within your business. Amazing. We are up on time, so we'll have to wrap. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in and just want to follow along from a company building perspective, where should they go? Yeah. So if you go to grid.is, that's our website and signing up for free, definitely give the product a spin. And uh, you'll also find our, our social media presence where we are pretty active in, in posting the latest. Amazing. Yammer, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I've really enjoyed this and I know our audience is going to as well. So really appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks, Brett. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 